We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia, WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game odds on everyday major sports, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Welcome to the timeline of Phoenix Suns podcast. I am coming to you from an undisclosed location on vacation. I apologize if my mic sounds different. I'm just talking through my AirPods right now. We're here to talk about the thing that everyone has been talking about, Sam, and that is do pumpkins count if you use a stencil? What do you think? (laughs) Um, I think they still count if you use a stencil because my artistic skills are trash. (laughs) <laughs> um happy well, happy I, 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 happy to talk to you mike uh checking in there from that undisclosed bunker where yeah where yes you do sound a little bit different this week but hopefully people can forgive us yeah i'm on vacation i'll be back next week uh i've seen devin booker's artwork you've seen devin booker's artwork with uh with his friends and most of the time from what we know it's just a girl in a thong and high heels so if he does a pumpkin like that I'd be pretty impressed, especially without a stencil. That would be really impressive, I think. <laughs> I have a feeling that if, if that's what he does with Kendall, then um, she would find it a little bit tacky personally. But hey. anyway, we should move on. We, we, should, we should talk about the main <laughs> okay. news, why we bring you this emergency episode calls for the, right. the emergency news. Yeah, there's three things that happen, I think, that we need to talk about. We'll talk about, I think, what could be considered the bad news first, I think. And that is that Adrian Wojnarowski, the best re- breaking news reporter for ESPN, reported that the talks between the Phoenix Suns and DeAndre Ayton have stalled and or ended, I guess is a better way to put it. And DeAndre Ayton will now not be extended with the Phoenix Suns, meaning he goes into restricted free agency, potentially, 
the Suns could sign him in restricted free agency right away. Uh, and then he could potentially get offers from other teams at the end of this season, which in a, in a sense, it ends the, the talk. Like this could potentially for you and I be the last time we have to talk about his contract for a while, I hope. And, and I think that it could potentially be a distraction. It could also potentially end any distractions going forward this season. But I think disappointed that they couldn't come to a deal with DeAndre. But what, what was your first reaction to hearing that news? Frustration. I got to be honest that, you know, as we were coming up to the deadline, I, I don't think it would surprise anyone um, that this happens. We kind of I, I don't necessarily want to say I was anticipating it, but it definitely felt like greater than a 50 percent chance at a certain point that nothing was going to get done. Um, I'm obviously very frustrated in Suns management because to me, this was a, a pretty easy call to max the guy when you could, um, even if that's what he was asking for and and show uh, some goodwill towards him and, and, and really take an easy opportunity to build trust in someone who you anticipate being a long-term uh, piece of your core. Now, what I will say to, you know, kind of distance myself from some of the hysterics that I saw on social media yesterday, I think this is the type of thing it could have long-term consequences. And I'm happy to talk about what those may be. It will not have, in my opinion, short-term kind of doomsday level consequences of, you know, DeAndre Ayton, as far as we know, is a professional. This is not a Ben Simmons situation. He's going to come out and, and practice and, and play just as hard because he's still motivated by going in and, and getting that contract ultimately. And also, um, he doesn't really have an outlet, even if he is frustrated. And I think he does have the right to be frustrated with the Suns organization at this point. So again, that, that could be a long-term trickle effect where you feel the consequence, but he doesn't have an outlet to really request a trade right now. He's mm-hmm. not going to take his qualifying offer going into year mm-hmm. five. He's just not. So mm-hmm. there are reasons to be concerned, I think, uh, about did you just do something with this guy that is going to irreversibly change the way that he feels about you as a general manager, as an owner. You can go up and down the list. Um, but it does not mean DeAndre Ayton's position with the Suns anytime in the next couple of years, honestly, in my opinion, is in jeopardy. There is one exception to that, and that is if the Suns, you know, think about trading the guy i didn't want to bring that mm-hmm. up so so soon into the episode but it is just like a possibility on the back yeah. burner so but that's I mean, how I that's feel. we're gonna have to talk about the potential of deandre being traded this season whether or not uh, we advocate for it is sort of irrelevant because right now they did not sign him to a long-term contract there could be a team that wants him long term and um you know if the suns did not believe in him enough to give him that five-year deal would they trade him? That's like a fair conversation to have at this point, whether or not people like to hear about it. It really doesn't matter. We have to talk about well, it. And the other thing I have to ask you though, Woj yeah. reported that the Suns offered or at least approached the subject of a three or four year max deal. And that it appeared that Aiton basically didn't want anything except for the full five year max. Should he have accepted a four year max deal? <laughs> Um, no, uh, I think because Aiden carries a lot of leverage where I do believe next year, look, there aren't a lot of teams that have cap space next year. There are some teams that I've seen people thrown around, maybe like the Spurs that might be interested in long-term center. Um, but I, I think, you know, someone's gonna, he's, he's getting at least that four-year max anyway, possibly still with the possibility of more uh, i don't really know now that i'm trying to think through it this is really interesting well this question. is this is why this is why i'm thinking about it before because 
if he goes to restricted free agency, the best offer he can get from another team is a four-year max deal. For it's those who don't know, yep. the only teams that can offer the fifth year is the current teams based on the CBA rule. So the only team that could offer DeAndre in a five-year deal at the end of this coming season are the Phoenix Suns. Now, I've talked about it before on this podcast. Robert Sarver doesn't do things he does not have to. He does things if he's forced to do them. That's because he's a bad owner. That includes not offering a fifth year because Robert Sarver understands that teams cannot offer DeAndre Ayton that fifth year in restricted free agency. They essentially offered him potentially, right? Assuming this reporting is true, which it's Woj. So we can assume that they offered him the most another team could offer him and he turned it down. I think that that shows that he, it shows a few things. Maybe, maybe it's a good decision by him and maybe he plays well enough that the Suns offer him a full five-year deal. Um, but if he doesn't and he just gets offered that full four-year max by another team and the Suns match it, it's the same deal anyway. There's no escalators. Right. It's, it's just, it is what it is. I just found it kind of interesting that that subject was broached and they didn't come to a deal on that, I, you know, and fair for yep. him because if he thinks he deserves a five-year max, then turn it down. But I just found that to be kind of fascinating. Yeah. So I apologize because I, I didn't actually read that article. I just saw the tweets. Um, it said, you mentioned the four-year, so that makes sense to me. Didn't it also, did it mention the possibility it's a three-year? As Three well, or like a, four year. Okay. Yeah. See, and then I it feel said like no formal offer was made. Which, if he said no, I don't want anything but a five year. Then why would they make a formal offer at that point anyway? It's just weird to begin with. I do feel like there's a pretty big distinction between three years and four years when you talk about those in terms of the advantages versus disadvantages you have competing against other teams. But it's just weird to begin with that you would punt on the flexibility uh, if you're the Suns. Like why? Yeah, that's exactly how I feel too. Because even to, to an extent, like if you want to trade him, wouldn't, wouldn't there be more value in the fact that he signed long-term? Now, for the record, if he is traded, uh, whatever team trades for him do, do hold on to those rights <clears throat> in restricted free agency. They have the ability. The same thing that happened with the Suns and Kelly Oubre, uh, for those who remember that. The Suns traded for Kelly Oubre before his restricted free agency. He went into this restricted free agency with the Suns owning his RFA rights. And then the market dried up for him. And then the Suns were able to get him at what at the time could be considered a discount and is now less than he's making on his current team in Charlotte. Um, <clears throat> but it's an interesting situation to just sort of read between the lines and try and figure out what each side was wanting. Uh, right. You, you know, because because for the Suns, a four year max on a on a yearly deal outside of the escalators. Right. Which is probably what Aiton was fighting for um, is essentially the same amount of money per year out of Robert Sarver's pocket as a five-year max would be, unless he got all NBA, which is possible mm -hmm. he could, um, you know, but there are, you know, big men who win MVPs in this league and it's difficult to get all NBA because of that. Uh, and, you know, I don't know. It's, I'm wondering now what this was motivated by and I'm questioning That's whether or not it was entirely motivated by money. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. That's where I wanted to go with it. It's, you know... It's so easy to dunk on Sarver. We saw a lot of dunking on Sarver yesterday, and I'm not, I'm not going to defend him now. It's easy. It's true that he's cheap. I 100% believe that he wants to avoid the luxury tax in any way possible. But I just, I don't think it explains the full story with what's going on here. I think there is a, a very believable element to this where you have to look at James Jones and you have to look at the moves specifically that James Jones has made in the past and think to yourself, remind yourself, okay, DeAndre Ayton was not a James Jones pick. Who James Jones would have picked first overall had he been the GM of the Phoenix Suns, I have no idea, but it's kind of irrelevant. But we know James Jones, uh, or we know DeAndre Ayton was not a James Jones pick. 
We know DeAndre Ayton also doesn't necessarily, in my opinion, fit the mold of the types of players that James Jones has since come to be known for acquiring. You know, that's, I mean, even JaVale McGee, like Dario Saric, Frank Kaminsky, players who pass and mm-hmm. put the ball on the floor and dribble. And it's a, it's a different type of player from DeAndre Ayton is all I'm saying, which again makes you start to wonder if there are other motivating factors at play. Another thing that I think is interesting is James Jones, everything we know about this guy, is that he's quiet, he moves in silence, regardless of what, what some might want you to believe. He really mm-hmm. doesn't let much info at all uh, slip out to either the national or the local media. He's really not talking to people. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, just recently, in recent weeks, given that that's James Jones's personality type, you have a guy like Aiton who goes out to the media, he says, you know, something like, and we talked about it in our preseason episodes, but he goes out and he says, now that we've established this big man role that I don't like. And yeah. James Jones hears him say something like that. Right. I'm, I'm not really suggesting that that was the thing specifically that changed the calculus, but maybe it did. It wasn't that long ago. It's just, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting. Well, if you know, you're, I, if you're a general because, manager... If you're James Jones, right, and, and this will be my last point on it. If you're James Jones and you hear that comment, exactly, and you're thinking to yourself, "Okay, you that's don't the want, role like, we wanted you to play." We, right. if <laughs> I'm, if I'm going to offer you a max contract, it's to do the stuff I know you're good at. And as of now, I know that you're a potential defensive player of the year. I know that you're the best rebounder of your generation. I know you're a guy who can go out uh, and and maybe not take a lot of shots, but be super efficient in them. If you're telling me that you don't want to do that and you're doing a point blank to the media, it seems to me that James Jones is the type of person, and I know I'm speaking for him here and it's speculation, so I could be entirely off, but it seems to me that James Jones might not take so kindly to that type of comment. And I do wonder if it affected negotiations. Yeah. I mean, dear God, I hope not. That, that would just be kind of short-sighted by the Suns. And look, I'm sort of forced now to consider realistically the possibility of him being traded and being on other teams. And it would be, it's kind of a disaster. Like you think about DeAndre and on any team in the NBA, literally any team, he makes like 90% of them better, 85, 90% of them better. And it would be difficult to, to watch that go. That includes the Suns. Of course he makes the Suns better regardless of you can nitpick anyone's game. And, and max contract is a lot for what he does. It just is, but we're talking about a team that was that is planning on competing for a title this season and now there's going to be trade speculation around that team there's going to be contract <laughs> speculation around that team there's going to be a player that things might leak about him being unhappy unhappy for this specific season and those are the reasons that you just sign him because if you believe that he's not valued at a max, but you believe other teams value him at a max, then that's all that matters, really. And there's no contract that's untradeable in the NBA. We have learned that over and over and over again. Even if you believe that he's overpaid, you eliminate the distractions this season, and you still have a tradable contract with a guy with a lot of upside if you decide that it was not the right decision later. Like, it just, it to me, this was an easy decision. And I'm disappointed that they botched it. And I understand why some people don't think he deserves a full max contract. I do understand that. But there are players that are on full max contracts on good teams that maybe didn't fully deserve it. That's just how the NBA works. Yeah, I think we're both in agreement there. Like market value wise, we know he doesn't deserve it. But 
you know, or, or in terms of like vacuum wise, we know he doesn't deserve it, but you consider the human element and the market dictates what the price is. So, okay, suck it up and do it. Yeah. Like it, it, it really wasn't that hard to pay the man here and eliminate really, the distraction, but it's, it's really the fact only- that it's just the fact that it was so easy to do this. Like it was so easy to just pay him like 95% of people wanted you to, that the fact that they didn't do that makes me think that there were ulterior motives. And obviously money was, was, was one of those. But also then you look at the other extensions they just made. And here's maybe where we should segue. Like, you know, I, we should talk about Mikhail Burgess first. But, you know, you go out and you make a move like that with uh, the Landry Shamit extension. And yeah. it makes you think, okay, that's weird. Well, maybe this isn't all motivated by money and it's actually motivated by the player that he is. Well, I, th- I thought the same thing when I realized that they were offering him max money in a yearly amount for up to four years because that's a lot of money no matter what. And last thing for me, and then we'll move on to Mikel Bridges, but with DeAndre Ayton, there's really only one cautionary tale that the Suns could be worried about. And his name is Andrew Wiggins. That's it. Because Andrew Wiggins was a player that had inconsistent effort early on in his career. And they bought in, the Minnesota Timberwolves bought into his potential, signed him to a max deal, and then he did not live up to that potential. That's really the only cautionary tale the Suns have. If they're not doing this based on money, if they're overly concerned about his inconsistent effort through his first three years of his career, I understand that. But also, we just saw what he did in the playoffs. We just saw how good he was, at the very least, for three and a half rounds. I think he struggled beyond that, but he was going against an MVP, so struggling is expected. Um, That's just a difficult decision to make. I guess, in a sense, I'll say that I understand worrying about inconsistent effort when signing a guy to a long-term deal. But like I said before, there's no such thing as an untradeable contract. They should have just done it and figured it out later. Okay, the last thing I have to say hypothetical situation you go into next offseason only a few teams have cap space i don't think this is gonna happen i'll say it right off the bat i think the suns botch this but if the suns calculations are saying let's say we get a situation you go into free agency that offer sheet that you think is coming from some team where they're gonna max him for four years and you have to match let's say it doesn't come like let's say there's just not the market for him there's only a handful of teams that have cap space and none of them want to spend a full max on a center and the suns are able to then swoop in and say, okay, DA, here's 25 million a year or 30 or something, but it's not a max. Like, do we, do we then have to go back and apologize because the sun's brass was right all along? Or will that, will there still be that irreparable relationship um, or that fracture and trust between the two parties that we have to be concerned about? I, I don't, I think that people are way overblowing the com- concept of a fracture and trust. Like, for example, John Collins went to restricted free agency for the Atlanta Hawks, a player that was drafted pretty high, a player that played pretty well, uh, a player that was important to their playoff run, and they still took him to restricted free agency. They still re-signed him. He remains an Atlanta Hawk today. He's not mad at that team. Over time, and I think for DeAndre Ayton, there's really only two people that he could be mad at here. He's not going to be mad at Monty Williams, right? He's not going to be mad at Devin Booker or Chris Paul because it's not about them. If he, if he feels a certain way towards James Jones and Robert Sarver, I have a feeling, knowing James Jones, he's going to make it pretty clear what DeAndre needs to do in order to fulfill what they want him to do to be a max player, whatever that is. And maybe there was something missing from what he did last year that we're not aware of. You know, 
Maybe it is more consistent effort in the regular season. They expect him to bring it every single game. I'm not sure. But I think they're going to make it pretty clear to him what that is. And I think that he's going to have a role in that and the team's going to have a role in it. And I think he still has the path to a max deal at the end of all this. That's why of when course, people freak course. out to me, yeah. when people freak out to me, it's like, he can still do this, guys. Like, it, it still could happen. I uh, just you know, hope... I, I, I just hope that that path is clear, like you said, that it's clearly illuminated in front of him. Um, because the last thing you need is that extra distraction. You said, who could he be mad at? He can't be mad at Monty Williams. But if that path is not so clear and he starts taking shots out of the flow of the offense because he thinks the okay, raw okay. stats are, are, are what's going to lead to that max extension, those are the distractions we don't want. Let me just touch on that real quick. The way for DeAndre to be the most effective is the way that the Suns used him. He, if he wants, if he thinks he's just going to get more money by taking more shots, he has to remain incredibly efficient. If he takes a bunch more shots per game and then his efficiency tanks, it's not going to make him more money. That's not uh, how this uh, works. Uh, no, I don't know, Mike. That's according to the way you think. Again, it's we need the path clearly laid out. We don't know what Sarver thinks. Would Sarver have been willing to max Aiton if he was a worse basketball player who averaged 20 and 15? Maybe. I don't know. I, I did, I like, don't. We don't know. We don't. We don't. He's not a basketball mind. We don't know what he thinks. We don't know what his justifications are for doing what he does outside of the greed factor. But the other I guess stuff, my, my how he evaluates a, players, we don't know. There's a path to 20 and 15 without him taking eight jump shots a game. Yeah. And I think All that's right. the real that's the real factor that I think people need to focus on. It's not just it's I don't think he's going to go in there and DeMarcus Cousins his way to a max. I just don't think I'm, that's going to happen. I'm already sick of this conversation. I hope we don't <laughs> dwell on it too long uh, throughout the year, although I know it's going to come up after every game. But well, we have to um, be. No, OK, lecture. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. You and I right yeah. now, let's just make a deal. Let's not talk about DeAndre Ayton's contract until. And I hate to do this, but the we'll trade do a, deadline. A, we'll <laughs> do a midseason. We'll do a midseason check in. Okay, we'll but we're not, gonna, deadline, we're not going to do the whole. That's what's we're, relevant. we're not going to do the whole weekly. Oh, he he uh, he dropped a couple extra passes this week. Is he not? A, yeah, you know, or is, yeah. Is, is, is this related to the? Today. Is this related to the contract? Like, we're not going to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or he had a thirty. He he went thirty and twenty. Is he sending a message to James Jones? <laughs> like, we're not gonna. We're not gonna do that. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's move on to some good news because I think the people need it. I'll yes. I'll flip it back on you. You asked me my yes. first reaction to the Aiton extension or the lack of. What was your first reaction to Mikhail Bridges' four years, $90 million? Ecstasy. Ecstatic. I mean, come on. It's really not only is it great that he signed before the deadline, but it's a great deal. And you might look at this deal and say, is it a slight overpay for what he was last season? Say he never improves? Maybe a little bit. But if there is some sort of linear improvement for the next year or two and he becomes slightly better, it becomes an extreme, extremely good contract for a player that could be uh, dramatically improved. Four years, $90 million. That includes the next five years Mikael Bridges is now signed to be a Phoenix Suns player. And he clearly wanted to stay. You and I speculated privately and on the podcast that he had already come to a deal with the Phoenix Suns. I would say that that is the case. And if you go back and watch his interview, which I know Sam and I did where he talked about it, I think it was clear even before that they had a deal in place and he was kind of hinting at it a little bit in that interview. Um, I'm ecstatic. What do you think? I'm ecstatic. Uh, I hate to do this because usually I try not to listen to like, national pods and stuff like too too close to the time when we decide to record ourselves because I don't want it to influence too much of what I'm thinking going into a podcast. I want to be clear-headed. But I what I did happen to just be listening to Zach Lowe um talk about this extension and he had uh he had Kevin Pelton on and both of them were basically in agreement that it's they they they, they thought it was a fine deal. They thought it was fine. Even good. They both admitted that, you know, they both love Mikhail Bridges. Who doesn't love Mikhail Bridges in the national media? But I heard them bringing up a specific argument, which I just thought was kind of blasphemous uh, of like the type of thing you usually hear about kind of what we say about rim running bigs, to be honest. They were like, well, could you take Mikhail Bridges for however much, however much money he's getting now, twenty two and a half million dollars a year? Could you get a player that's 85 percent of him for a third of the cost. Like, could you get that sort of player? And they were running through all the names. They were talking about guys like Justin Holiday, James Ennis. Like, they were bringing up these names. But <laughs> what was frustrating about it, and I'm sorry, because I don't want to make another podcast the focus of our podcast, so I'll move away from it in a second. But what's frustrating about it is just the extent to which the conversation about Mikhail Bridges nationally is still dominated by this term 3 and D, which is just so reductive to what he is at this point. And when you look at that dollar value of $90 million over four years for Mikhail Bridges and what it actually symbolizes, only about half of that money is the three and B part. Yes, it's great that he can shoot threes. Yes, he's a great defensive player. That money starts to go up exponentially once you factor in the potential that he has on the ball that he's demonstrated. And again, go back to our internal development series, listen to 90 minutes of us gushing over how efficient Mikhail Bridges was. Um, as a mid-range shooter, as a pick-and-roll playmaker with small volume, but really, really impressive levels of efficiency. That $90 million is thinking that he has a lot more left in the tank uh, in terms of being an initiator 
that no other three and D guy, so-called three and D guy in the league could possibly dream of. Yeah. Doing. So and, I, you yeah. know, I think it's, I think it's was an easy deal. I was prepared. Yeah. Honestly, I was prepared for him to get a hundred um, or mm-hmm. even a little bit more. So 90, I was really happy with it. Yeah. Happy that you and I brought up four years, 90 million. I mean, as, as early on as like two months ago too. But one, one thing I will say uh, about that conversation that you just had there, when people talk about three and D players, they're usually talking about guys who can only play defense, like hard nose, high effort defense, and then shoot like 35% from three. They're not talking about elite level defenders who are just so happen to be elite level shooters. Right. And that's I what think... Mikhail, it's not just that he could do the other things. It's also that he's elite at defense and elite at shooting. Yeah. He's not just a regular three and D guy. And to put him into that bin with guys like, PJ Tucker, I hate to, you know, PJ Tucker is an elite defender, but he's not a good shooter. Like the difference no, between right. I, specific yeah. skills that he has is that he's excellent at both of those things. PJ Tucker is a great example. When I think of just the term three and D, I think, uh, I think of the Mori Ball Rockets because I think that term really kind of evolved out of that team. Mm-hmm. And like the makeup of that team being James Harden, this was like all the pre even well, I guess while Chris Paul was there, I counted too, but like the pre Russell Westbrook, the pre those sorts of Rockets teams, um, where it was just kind of James Harden running the show. And then they cobbled together as many 35% three point shooters as they could Trevor Reza, Luke Bamute, BJ Tucker, guys like that. And they called them three and D players, but they weren't really, they were not elite shooters. They just shot a shit ton of threes. They couldn't put the ball on the floor. And, you know, they were good defenders. They were switchable defenders. Obviously, those teams were great. They were great for a reason. Like, the archetype Mm -hmm. is what it is for a reason. But that archetype, when I think about that, like, I think about that that deal Trevor Reza signed with the Suns a few years back, which obviously turned out disastrously. But, like, you were paying for a veteran for, I think it was, what, 15 million at the time? One year, 15 million. To come in and give you ideally 12 or 13 points per game, above average defense, and 36% from three. You weren't asking for all that much. And that's yeah. kind of the going rate for that type of player. But again, Mikhail Bridges, like their their idea was that type of player that I was just talking about is 85% of what Mikhail Bridges currently is. And I just I just don't think that's even close. I think well, that type of player is 60%, 50% of what Mikhail yeah. Bridges is. Well, here's my other gripe with that. Even if you do find someone that's 85% of what Mikhail Bridges is, what you pay for in the NBA is that 15%. Yeah. That 15% that gets you a little bit further, a little bit better, that, that difference between good and elite, and the leap that players take between good and elite is the most difficult leap in the NBA. And people oftentimes talk about leaps, and they're talking about guys that go from eight points a game to 14 points a game, which is very difficult. But like, for example, I'll use Devin Booker as an example, going from like 18 points a game to 25 points a game, that extra, whatever you want to call it, that's the most difficult thing in the NBA. It's also the most expensive thing in the NBA. And if you can find a guy that's in that upper 15% and not in that lower 85%, they're worth the extra money. And I think they need to acknowledge that if they're going to talk about it. But with Mikhail Bridges, I think he's just the perfect player for this team specifically. And I think when you acknowledge the Suns defense, you're talking about uh, Jay Crowder, Mikel Bridges and DeAndre Ayton. These three players are vital to what the Suns do defensively. And to sign him now is, is, is extremely great. And we're talking about him as we've talked about throughout this offseason. 
improving his offense and becoming somewhat better on offense and more of a creator for himself and others on offense. If that happens, if that comes to fruition, it's going to be one of the best contracts in the NBA. It has potential to be one of the best contracts in the NBA. And, and you have to factor in the fact that when you're signing guys like this, you're comparing him to someone like Justin Holiday, who's like 32 years old. You're also talking about a guy, Mikael Bridges, who's going to improve. Mm-hmm. He's going yeah. to get better. And like these, you can't make those comparisons. That drives me crazy. I'm sorry for focusing so much on that. No, um, it's, it, yeah, you're right. <laughs> you're right. Yeah. It's I'm this just type of move that will help the Suns get as deep as they possibly can in the playoffs. And that's all that mm-hmm. matters. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm excited that he's locked in. And I'm, I'm excited that there's no distractions there. The Suns made a trade on draft night. They traded Javon Carter in the first round pick, pick for Landry Shamit. Landry Shamit was had one year left on his deal. Essentially, he became a restricted free agency after this current season that we're going into. We talked uh, extensively about the idea of extending Mikael Bridges and DeAndre in on this podcast and on Twitter. In private, I think you and I talked about Landry a potential Landry Shamit extension once <laughs> over the last few. Uh, months and and it was I think it was framed in a way like if the Suns sign Mikel Bridges and Landry Shamit but not DeAndre and people are going to go insane yeah it was framed as a joke because that's what yeah. I thought it would be <laughs> right and they did they signed yeah. Landry Shamit to a a extension of four years 43 million dollars with like an extreme extremely high amount of non-guaranteed money on the back end of that deal uh, essentially the first two years of his extension are, are guaranteed the last two or sort of unguaranteed, non-guaranteed money. He has to play his way into those last two years in order to get that money. Team options by the Suns, basically, that allow them to have him for up to the next five years. Basically, the majority of his prime based on his age that he's in right now. And um, the Suns really, really, really bought into Landry Shamet based on just what they did to trade for him training camp preseason and clearly believed that he was going to be a big part of this team going forward. I was shocked still at that extension. The money's fine. I'm not mad at the money. Just surprised that it actually happened. I thought they were going to wait. What'd you think when it came down? They really, really, really like this guy, I guess. And uh, yeah. yeah, I agree. The money's fine. I think it's fine. Um, I definitely felt a lot better about it after I found out that the uh, last two years were not guaranteed and the fourth year is a team option. Um, I'll tell you why I don't mind the money so much. And it's I, I feel bad that we keep bringing up these guys in the context of trades, but I just feel like James Jones is so slick. He's He has to be thinking two or three moves ahead. And I like the more I think about all of these moves, I feel like that's kind of what's what's really at stake here when you read in between the lines a little bit. You can never have too many contracts of that sort of mid-size where Shaman is falling now, like $10, $11, $12 million. You've got Shaman, you've got Sharich, you've got Crowder locked up long-term. If you want to maintain the flexibility to be able to make trades potentially for like a third star or, you know, a fourth star right now, but like, let's say a third star in the post Chris Paul era in a couple of years, you need to have contracts like that, especially if you want to do it in a way where you know you're not going to have cap space and you want to do it in a way where you're trying to avoid the luxury tax as much as possible because we know the constraints that this ownership puts on its um, front office. You need to have contracts like that. I'm not saying that means Landry Shamit is is like it's a done deal that he's going to be traded in the next two years for the record because it took so long to get this extension done or any of these extensions done. 
Uh, Shamit can't even be traded at the deadline this year. So both him and Bridges, you can't be traded for six months after you sign an extension or, or um, yeah, contract, six months. Yeah. Yep. Yep. After you sign a new contract. And uh, so that, that takes them well past this year's February deadline. So neither of them will be moved, but I'm talking about far mm. in the future. Yeah. Um, so, so that's one of the reasons I think the money is fine. As for Shamit, the player himself, I think he has a hell of a lot to prove. I'm not going to lie. Um, but I definitely liked what I saw out of him in preseason. It was just, it was just a shock to see it. Yeah. And, and just, just for the record to clarify for people listening, the new money, right? The new yearly money for Shamit and Mikel Bridges don't, don't kick until next year anyway. Right. Uh, so if they, if they were traded this year, whether it be Mikel Bridges, Landry Shamit, or any other player that signed a new contract outside of Chris Paul, uh, any extension, I should say, that doesn't kick until next year. So if you're using the, the salary amounts in trade, uh, trades just factor in that, in fake trades, I know, uh, factor in that that doesn't really uh, count until next season anyway. It's really, it's really remarkable that they believed in him the way they did. He, even Woj tweeted out when he announced this Landry Shamit deal that Monty Williams really loves Landry Shamit and, and he fought for him and he believes he's going to have a large role in this team going forward, when we did our internal development series, we chose five players, Devin Booker, Mikael Bridges, DeAndre, and Cameron Johnson, Cameron Payne. And we focused on those five players. Landry Shamit's 24. Landry Shamit fits within that internal development age range that we chose in that series, which was essentially 25 outside of Cameron Payne and below. We didn't include Landry Shamit in our internal development series. We probably should have. Sam and I think uh, at some point, at some what point was this, there? What was we did a whole episode on him, uh, with with Matt Matt Brooks, didn't right, we? Right, like what was what else was there really to say about Landry? Well, Shannon? that's I think that's what's important. I think you and I, I think later this season, let's take stock into what we've seen of Landry Shaman. Maybe a few months after we've actually watched him enough, and let's have an episode on how good we think he can be. Because I I, I look at this money right now. And I say, okay, for a role player, like a bench player who's a really good shooter and potentially can create for himself and for others, that's not bad money. Like it's, you know, it's like $11 million a year. It's not, you know, like it's not a ton of money. And it it works out in a way that I feel like that's a pretty good contract. But we haven't really seen enough, at least I haven't seen enough, to be fully confident in how I feel about that contract. Uh, You know, just thinking about the money on its own, uh, it's fine right now. But we need a few months of watching him, and I think Suns fans will too. And I think we should take stock and, and then reassess this contract after a few months, Sam, and try and figure out what we think Landry Shamit could be going forward because, you know, either it's a good contract, or, you know, maybe it's a slight overpay, maybe it's an underpay. I'm not really sure. I, I, it do you, definitely, where do you stand on the money? Yeah, I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm fine with the money. It definitely makes me think that uh, Shamit is going to play a lot more than I previously thought. Like I knew that they had talked up this idea of Chris Paul and Devin Booker. They can play alongside Shaman in kind of smaller lineups. But now like it has it has to happen, right? Like I, I guess it doesn't have to happen because it's kind of a sunk cost thing. But yeah, you don't pay. And again, his salary this year is what it is. It's it's small. But even in, you know, this year and in the future, you don't pay a mid-level size deal to a guy who's only going to play 10 or 15 minutes a game. Previously, right. I thought campaign was going to be getting so much playing time Devin Booker yeah. obviously will get so much playing time I was like there's no way they can fit in yeah. Shamit for more than like 10 or 15 minutes a game it's almost now twice thinking, as much as campaign makes right and and I'm thinking like 
you had last year, that was where Javon Carter was playing. That was where Langston Galloway was playing. That was where Etuan Moore was playing in that spot in the rotation. And all of those guys combined made like 5 million. So it's just, it's hard to believe that you're going to pay 10 plus million to a guy who's going to play 10 or 15 minutes per game. I think he kind of has to play 20 plus now in order to justify what you're giving him. But time will tell. We'll see. Yeah. It's an interesting thing. Like we've gotten to the point with Monty Williams where, I've said this before in this podcast, I tend to look at players and try to figure out what the best version of them will be because I have confidence that Monty Williams can sort of get the best out of these guys. And like to buy in on the potential of Landry Shaman to understand that you think you can get essentially more out of him than other teams did or value him more than other teams did. It's Monty Williams just sort of betting on himself that he could do more than the previous coaches that coached this guy, whether it be like Doc Rivers or uh, Steve Nash, I guess you could say, and, and just sort of understanding his game at another in another way. And Steve I'm interested Nash. to see what he can do. Yeah. Steve Nash didn't coach. Just vibes. <laughs> just vibes. Good vibes. Good vibes all around. He's got yeah, a lot to handle. Uh, yeah, I'm right confused now. there for a second. Uh, yeah, I think more than anything, like I think it's a good point to bring up uh, Landry Shamit with the context of Cameron Payne, because yeah, he's making significantly more than Cameron Payne. And if they, uh, you know, that's a great Cameron Payne deal. I'll say it again. And How do you I think- feel if you're Cameron Payne? Like it's one thing for bridges to walk in and he's making all this money. He Look, walks into locker room one day, whatever, but you're yeah. Cameron Payne and this dude that they traded, yeah. like a guy who, who didn't even really play last year for walks in right. with extension. That's worth double what you're making. Well, here's the thing. People have made the assumption that Cameron Payne took a discount and Cameron Payne himself said he did not take a discount on Twitter. I think that maybe as Suns fans, we overrated Cameron Payne's market because of how good he was on the Suns. It's possible other general managers in the league just didn't buy into a single year with Monty Williams. And the market was what it was for him and he took what he could get from the Phoenix Suns. And and the Suns ended up with potentially a really great player because of it. But that's just, I think maybe that's just where the market was. And I don't think Chris Paul took a discount either. I think it's funny when people are talking about these extensions for other players, they're making assumptions that Chris Paul and Cameron Payne took discounts because they thought that they would make more. I don't know. I think they took the, the a large amount of money that they can get a large amount of money and they just took it. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I think Cameron Payne, uh, I, I would say Cameron Payne and his agent probably understood his market pretty well just based on what he said about it. And and it probably still feels feels kind of shitty. But, you know, he has a contract. He's in the NBA and he's yeah, on a no, great he's, team. He's, on a, he's got all these reasons to be happy. He's still a millionaire and I'm not. It's just I feel a certain type of way about it. You know, I would at least give a, a, a glance yeah. over at my agent yeah. and ponder. <laughs> That's all I'm <laughs> maybe, saying. Maybe start looking up other agents information mikhail bridges agent <laughs> giving him a call flirting a little uh there is an nba game if you're listening to this on tuesday tomorrow phoenix suns against the Denver nuggets i'm very excited about it sam i'm sure you're excited about it. the nba comes back tonight if you're not subscribed to our patreon subscribe if you'd like to patreon.com slash the timeline we're going to be on thursday morning we're going to record a reaction to the game on wednesday and talk about what we saw with the Suns playing their first game, see how well they or how good they looked, and uh, really get into the nitty gritty of that game. I'm very excited about that. Anything else you want to get to before we end this one, Sam? 
looking forward to it. The season starts tomorrow. And I have a feeling a lot of these things that people have been talking about. And uh, again, just a reference to kind of some of the hysteria will die down. People will feel mm-hmm. better when real basketball is being played and real basketball yeah. is being played as of tonight. So looking yep. forward to I'm it. excited. I'm hoping for a DeAndre Aiden, who's incredibly aggressive to the rim to show what he's worth. That's what I'm hoping for. And that's, that's my high hopes for this season. Thanks everyone for listening. Uh, we appreciate you guys and we'll be back very, very soon.